It's not touchy feely. It's not bullshit. It's like this is there's a real physiological effect with this idea of your emotional state. And it's okay for you to manipulate that in order to help you perform to your potential. That Triathlon Show, episode 97. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, we discuss mental skills, mental toughness, building confidence, dealing with nerves, the psychology of suffering, smiling, and a whole lot of other things with mental skills coach Carrie Cheadle. Carrie has worked with athletes of all ages and at every level, from recreational age group athletes to elite professional athletes competing at the highest national and international levels. She's the author of the book On Top of Your Game, Mental Skills to Maximize Your Athletic Performance, and she has been working in the field of sports performance since 2002 and got her master's in sports psychology from the John F. Kennedy University. And I'm sure that most of you know and acknowledge how important the mental skills really is. And uh, so we won't talk too much about that, actually, but we'll try to make things very actionable and, and tell you how to do things and not that you should do some sort of mental preparation, because I think that most of you already know that. But there's some of that in, in there as well, if you're interested in, in the why behind it. But as always, you can listen to the show and then go to the show notes and and start doing that. I think this is one of those episode w- episodes when that will be be really beneficial for you to to get sort of like a, a checklist of what you can do and start training on and incorporating into your mental preparation. But first, this episode is sponsored by Precision Hydration. Remember that until the end of February, all that Triathlon Show listeners can get one free box of Precision Hydration Electrolyte product by going to precisionhydration.com, adding a box to your shopping cart and using the discount code thattriathlonshow, all one word, to get your first box for free. And if you have already gotten one, then you get 15% off as usual. It's highly recommended, of course, to take their free online sweat test first so that you get an, the right electrolyte strength for you. This episode is also sponsored by Triathlon Corner, a triathlon webshop on triathlon-corner.store. If you want some tips for what may be the most useful gear for you to get this season, take note from the rapid-fire questions that I ask at the end of almost all interviews about the favorite piece of gear or, or equipment and many 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 guests say bike power meters and on the triathlon corner you can get a garmin or a stages power meter uh, so i would highly recommend that if you don't have a power meter yet they are very useful tools for training if you're not quite sure which one may be best for you you can probably drop them, them an email drop Jan from triathlon corner an email and he'll help you out but without any further ado, let's move on to the interview with Carrie Cheadle. So today on That Triathlon Show, I am welcome, welcoming Carrie Cheadle to the podcast. Carrie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
Really good, really good. It's a podcast day here in uh, the Lisbon studio, so uh, it's uh, exciting. I always enjoy these days. And uh, this topic is one that fascinates me a lot. You're a mental skills coach, as uh, I mentioned in the bio already. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, what, what is, let's start with that uh, from the start. What, what is mental skills, really? Yeah, you know, so... Um the way that I utilize mental skills and the way um, that we use it in sports psychology, it's really um, all of the all of the skills that it takes to be successful and perform to your potential that are happening in in between the six inches between your ears, right? So, so you know, you have your physical piece that um, that, you, that you need to train in order to get to the start line to be prepared to race, um, and I get to work on all of the mental factors that come into play. So, for me, mental skills are things like um, focus and motivation and confidence, um, emotion control. So, they're they're things that sometimes I think people assume you just have or don't, or you come to the table with already as an athlete. But really, they're all skills. We don't always think about confidence as a skill or focus as a skill or motivation as a skill. But those are all skills that can be um, strengthened and and refined and um, and worked on in order to help an athlete be able to perform more consistently. So, so when I think of mental skills and, and the work that I do with my athletes, um, that's what we're talking about. With endurance athletes, actually, I would add um, the additional mental skill of uh, well, I mean, it, it does come into play with other sports too, but the kind of the psychology of suffering and the the ability to um, really get to the finish line, knowing that you gave it everything that you had that day, um, and teasing out what aspect of that was mental versus what aspect was physical, is sometimes challenging for my endurance athletes. So, um, so that's another kind of piece in there for my endurance sports. Yeah, that, that's such a fascinating topic, and and there are a lot of great great books and and research on that so let, i'll look forward to getting getting into that <laughs> but but before that um, of those mental skills what do you think are the ones that uh, usually need the most improvement in in regular age group endurance athletes you know we're just um masters of getting in our own way. So so for each one of the athletes that I work with that's part of what I'm assessing is trying to figure out what what this person's goals are and what are some of the things we could work on in order to help them with that. And some of the things that I see, you know, happen with a lot of my age groupers and really across the board but with my age groupers is um you know, sometimes it's uh, they put a tremendous amount of pressure on themselves to do well the day of the race because, you know, for a lot of these people, a lot of my athletes, like it's a, a really big commitment and, um, you know, you're, you're sacrificing other things in order to be able to do this, to give yourself this gift of like seeing what I'm capable of on race day. So because of that, uh, sometimes there's a tremendous amount of pressure put on the day of. And so a lot of what I'm doing with those athletes is working on working on the confidence leading up to the event and then race day confidence like the pre-performance plan and um and really um believing that whatever that day brings is what I'm meant to tackle on that race day. Um you know t- with some of my elite athletes and professional athletes they have more competitions that they're doing to be able to learn from and um gauge their feelings of competence and confidence whereas some of my age groupers you know they might only be doing a couple races a year even some of them so they put a lot of eggs into that basket so that's one of the things i'm working on with them a lot 
Perfect. And one thing, mental skills and uh, mental toughness, how are they related? Because mental toughness is another concept that comes up a lot. Yeah. You know, when we, t- when we like in popular culture, talk about mental toughness, I think what people are, you know, the way that they're conceptualizing that is this idea of, um, you know, the ability to perform consistently under pressure and to the ability to be resilient in the face of challenges and, um, the, the ability to have a tremendous amount of discipline for training and perseverance through the challenges of training and the challenges of race day and, and pushing through the pain of effort. So, you know, I think a lot of times that's what we're thinking about when we think about someone that we would identify as being mentally tough and mental skills are the things that, um, you know, mental toughness is a state of being and, and mental skills are what help you develop mental toughness. So it's, um, you know, really mental toughness. It's not just one thing. It's it's many of these different things, many of these mental skills that come into play that help create um, an athlete's ability to be mentally tough because they have a big toolbox to be able to pull from um, in the moment when they need to be mentally tough. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. That, that's a really good explanation on, on the difference. So... So when when it comes to these mental skills that we need to develop mental toughness and and to just in general approach training and, and racing and get the most out of ourselves, what should uh, should we do in uh, training or in day to day in general around training whenever really before going to bed uh, to prepare and set ourselves up to be successful with those six inches between our ears? <laughs> um, you know, it depends on what uh, it's so it's it a lot of times it can be so individual. Like it really depends on what it is that that you're struggling with in that moment. So say, you know, for example, if you're really struggling with feeling some burnout, right? So at any point, given point, you know, there's going to be a a time where you have to go out for a training, you know, maybe you're getting ready for bed and you have to go out for a train, an early training run or early training ride the next morning. And you're like, I just don't want to go. (laughs) Like you're just dreading it a little bit. So sometimes, so if you're, you know, if the issue is around motivation, you know, one of the things I might have them do the night before is um, actually visualize themselves out um, during their training run to just start to plant the seeds of like, this is happening. You're, you're kind of prepping, you're prepping the, the, the brain's prepping the body for what it's going to be doing the next day um, and seeing yourself out there. And even I'll go as far as like, you know, see the, you know, imagine that your alarm's going off and you wake up feeling energized and excited to go and see yourself getting dressed and putting everything on it, you know, going through and actually seeing it in your mind and you're more likely to kind of like follow the the path that's already been planted in your mind. So, you know, if that's, if motivation is something you're struggling with, that might be, um, or even think about something that you're looking forward to in your training the next day. Um, you know, if you're struggling with maybe, um, feeling challenged with, um, shifting, like sometimes people will sort of tune out during races or during um, training. And so maybe one of the things we're working on is shifting focus. And so, well, you know, one of the, I think one of the things to think about as an athlete is if this is something that you want to start thinking about your mental game and like, how do I up my mental game is, um, you know, in training, in your daily training to not only set your physical goal, but what's your mental goal for that day. So maybe it's, um, 
you know, maybe you're going to play with, say you're doing intervals. So you're like, you're doing a training ride and on your training plan that day is intervals. Maybe you're going to try different for each interval. You might try something different mentally to see how it feels to imagine that you're chasing someone down. How does it feel when you imagine that there's someone right behind you? Like figuring out what mental tactic works the best for you and utilizing utilizing practice to actually build on it versus um, just going through the motions and checking off the box. Like, okay, I checked off the box. I did my training today. But really thinking about training in a way that's like, how can I use this day to both improve both physically and mentally and thinking about that? The other thing I'll do with my athletes that um, can be really important. So if you're, say, maybe um, you're struggling with something with confidence, we might take a training day and create simulated training, or we might create like your own skills clinic, you know, depending on what it is that that person struggling with. So, um, you know, to give you an example, like I, I had a age group or, um, triathlete that I was working with. She was doing her second Ironman and she, um, she just didn't feel confident in her ability to change her, a flat on the side of the road. Um, so she knew how to do it. She could do it in her driveway. Like she was capable. She had the skills that just made her nervous to do it on the side of the road. So for her next training ride, we made that a part of her. Part of the goal was for her to, in the middle of it, have to pull over and change her tire. Didn't matter if it was flat or not. Like that this was just a, she was going to, you know, we, we, you get more confident at the things that you, you know, you get good at what you practice. So she just didn't have a lot of practice doing it. So, so to create, you know, simulated training to create opportunities to practice that I've done that with my swimmer, like swimming to people who are nervous about the open water swim. That's something that, you know, I've worked with a lot of triathletes on. And so, you know, sometimes they're nervous about people swimming near them or swimming on top of them. So we might create some simulated training, um, around that and working on the skills of confidence and focus um, while having people that they really trust swim near them. And then maybe the next time we have them swim over them. And so they get used to that so that the first time you're experiencing it isn't in the middle of competition and you panic and you don't panic because you have the skills to do it and because you've practiced it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant breakdown. And actually, you you made me think about uh, I'm using since the last couple of weeks or so, since uh, a previous episode, actually, when I talked with uh, Kate Roberts, uh, former Olympic athlete, uh, or I guess once you're an Olympian, you're always an Olympian. But she, <laughs> yeah. she had this mantra uh, that uh, in tough workouts, uh, focus on the form, don't focus on the pain. And, yes. and today, for example, when we're doing these like all out 100 meter intervals in uh, in the swim se- session that we had uh, i completely started to fall- falling apart after the <laughs> after the fifth one because they were all out and uh, so yeah it takes a lot to to really to do them but and and i had no way i, I think i wouldn't have got, gotten through them if i hadn't been focusing so much on the form and trying to make that tune out from the from the pain and that's a real world example of how you can actually practice your main, mental skills at the same time as your training so yeah. so it, it's not just words here that carrie is throwing at you people that's this, right this is actually <laughs> things that you should go and do <laughs> and, yes, and, can be done and, and helps you because it helped me i, I got through the through the set and uh yeah so i was very happy with that uh, so you mentioned uh, confidence there a bit let's go a bit deeper into that because that's uh, probably something that uh, that is l- lacking for a lot of, of people that especially if they're moving up to a longer distance or something something that's uh, just unknown to them how how do you develop confidence yeah that's a a great question and and that 
I mean, you really hit on one of the keys there is just um, as humans, where we have a hard time, we have a lot of fear around the unknown. And a lot of like, um, one of the things that will happen, like if you're going to another distance, you're doing something that maybe you've never done before. For some people, it just sets off this, um, the what ifs, like the like, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And in your brain is trying to um, grasp, it's trying to grab onto something so that it it can feel um it can feel safe basically and likes and and can know something. So it's almost like if you imagine swinging on a trapeze and you're you're holding onto one bar and you're like, "Well, I know what this is and I can hold onto this bar and, and I'm good here." But um I'm not so sure about flying th- you know then you're flying through the air into the unknown and you're tr- and you don't know what's going to happen and your brain tries so hard to gr- to grab onto the next thing and grasp something so that it knows something so that's what people struggle with with this idea of confidence and um and and the unknown so part of it um you know there's a couple different aspects in particular that are really important in it w- in thinking with endurance sports and endurance athletes and one is um or just for any athlete, really, one is knowing that preparation equals confidence. So the more prepared you feel, the more confident you're going to feel going in. So when, you know, when you go into a race, and you know, I, I dotted all my I's, I crossed all my T's, I've done everything that I could to set myself up to be successful going in, you're going to feel more confident. So that being said, um, I think one of the things that some of my like endurance athletes struggle with sometimes is feeling like, especially my age groupers, like feeling like if I didn't do my training plan exactly the way that my coach set it out for me, I'm probably going to fail. Like (laughs) that. And really what I think what my elite and professional athletes realize is, um, you're never going to get a hundred percent of it. You're that's what you're shooting for, but you also have to listen to your body and what's happening and life happens. And so sometimes you have to make adjustments. So to think of it more of a percentage, like, and to, you know, so not to say that you're going to be skipping out on workouts, but if you get sick, if you have to take um, time off because you rolled your ankle and have a little injury that you're dealing with, like it's not all is, is lost. So, but going in, if you know, I did everything I could to be as ready as I can be right now in this moment, you're going to feel more confident. And I think the other thing that I work on with all of my endurance athletes is um, because they put so much pressure on race day, a lot of times we, you think about, um, it's almost like you think, you think of the, that you think your competition starts when the gun goes off, but really mentally it starts way before that. So, and, but people don't always prep for that lead up time. And that's when a lot of people are experiencing a lot of performance anxiety and burning a lot of matches, you know, energetically and, and physically burning matches and burning energy before your race even starts. So I work with them a lot on that, the lead up and really thinking about their pre-performance plan and identifying in like even the week leading up to a race, especially if you have to travel, um, thinking through these different time increments and what you need to be doing and how you want to be feeling and what you need to be thinking in order to feel confident and focused in that moment. So it really helps them stay in the present moment instead of time traveling, because that's one of the things that'll kind of mess with our confidence is time traveling into the future and worrying about the what ifs when really that's you don't need to time travel. You need to just, what do I need to do right now in this moment? 
Are there any other mistakes that people do in the lead up in uh, in addition to time traveling mentally or or even just in their physical preparation? Or with that, I include things like traveling, packing, and all those sorts of things. What what are some common issues? I think one of them. Um... One is just not trusting your training. So that's another one I talk to them a lot about is like, uh, as you go in to your event, wherever you're at at that moment in time, like say you're a week out, there's nothing you can do with your training that's going to make up any anything on race day. So really, it becomes very mental at that point. Like, so really, it's like, I, I did everything I could. I did the best that I could with where I'm at. And now I need to accept like, I've, I trust my training and this is where I am. Um, and, and I'll be able to handle anything that race day brings me. Um, and, and that that's okay. So another thing that sometimes (laughs) is a mistake people will, will do. And I've even done this and I know this, I'm an expert in this and I've still done this is changing what you eat on race day. Like, um, so sometimes what happens is I think, you know, race day comes and you feel like there's just so much energy and excitement and nerves. And sometimes people feel like they need to do something different. Like this is a big day. This is a big deal. I need to do something different because this is a bigger thing. And they'll do something different when really you need to do exactly what you've been doing that got you to this place successfully in this moment. So don't try and change, don't change anything major. And it sounds so obvious, right? Like don't get new shoes. Don't change what you eat, but we'll still, we'll still just want to do that because we're grabbing for something sometimes that will make us feel good and make us feel like we have a little bit of an edge. Yeah. And you mentioned nerves there, and I guess it kind of overlaps quite a bit with, with this topic already, but uh, uh, is there anything we can add to how to deal with, uh, with race day nerves or, or pre-race nerves in general, if you have them? Yeah, really that, um, and it's in my book that, uh, I mean, that's why I wrote my book was because of this topic of like, I had athletes that were just, that loved their sports, but were so debilitated by pre-race nerves that they felt like they wanted to quit their sports. And they, they, these were athletes that loved their sport and they just were like, I can't, I don't think I can get a handle on this. And so there's so many things you could do to to help with that. And one is this idea of the pre-performance plan and really dialing that in and being specific with um, not only what you need to be doing in, in those time increments, but how you want to be feeling and thinking during them. The other thing is, you know, I'll have, um, is to, you can create your own um, affirmation list. So sometimes we just need a reminder as you're, you kind of start to get nervous going into your event. Sometimes you just need like, to grab this piece of paper that you worked on when you were feeling confident and read through your list of race day affirmations that help remind you, I can do this. I can do this. I'm having a moment right now where I'm feeling a little nervous and that's okay, but I can, but I also know that I can handle this. Um, So when you're talking about this, the pre-performance nerves, um, you're, there's two different aspects. There's, um, you want to try and do things that relax the body, like what's going on physiologically, um, because that what's happening with your symptoms, and I'll talk about that in a minute, can exacerbate how anxious you feel. And then you want to also relax the mind, the thoughts that you're having, um, or the, or work on the emotions, because that contributes to the physiological effects of feeling nervous. So you're kind of working on it at both ends. So the other thing I'm doing is like really working on breathing um, and um, 
and relaxation, you know, whatever it is that that athlete needs in order to perform to their potential. Because some of us need to be more relaxed and others need to be like super excited and pumped up. So that's the first thing is kind of identify which one, which camp you fall in, so to speak. But with the the physiological symptoms of feeling nervous, this is another thing that you can do um, for yourself is sometimes what happens is um, when we label, uh, you label the feeling of nerves. Like there's for all of us, when you elicit that, that stress response and start to feel anxiety, um, there's a physiological response. So there are all these things that are happening in the body. And if you think about it for yourself, like, you know, for a lot of people, they have a racing heart, they might have butterflies, they might get sweaty, everybody, you know, there's some that are common for a lot of people. And then there's some that are really unique to people. Um, So when we start to feel those physiological symptoms, we sometimes make an automatic, we create an automatic label where you're feeling those symptoms and then you say, oh, that means I'm nervous. And we label that as bad. So part of it is removing the the label of like anxiety is bad and feeling nervous is bad. We remove that label and we also reframe what it is that's happening physiologically. Um, so for me, I, this was really helpful for me with my, cause I get butterflies. <laughs> and, um, and so for me, my reframe was like, Oh, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. And my body's getting me ready to compete. Um, and so as soon as I do that, it just takes the, the edge off a little bit of the, um, like holding your breath and feeling anxious. So, and that's another, actually, that's another really big thing is really making sure that you're breathing because a lot of times we'll, we tend to hold our breath when we feel nervous and that actually intensifies the feeling of nervous. Like just breathing shallower, breathing or holding your breath is a signal to the body that you're under duress. Like something's happening. Something You need to get get ready to run or fight because something's happening. So just remembering to breathe is kind of a key aspect in there as well. I've used that that reframing myself as well, and and that was a big game changer. Even though I I haven't I never struggled with nerves or anything, but just to get the most out of my performance, really to to have a super positive mindset when the when the gun goes, then that actually reframing that uh, potential those thoughts that you have that are more about nerves and and making them be about about excitement instead that that really helped a lot. And, and actually, I I also noticed that smiling uh, before in, yes. in the 30 minutes or so that that helps uh, before the race. Yes, there's some great research on that. And and I so people laugh when <laughs> they dismiss it. But like, that is a really that can be a really important one. They actually did research where you, they put um they just put a pencil in, you had to bite onto a pencil and hold the pencil in your mouth so that your lips went into the shape of a smile. So you weren't even thinking about anything that made you smile or made you happy. You just had to, the research was they had to put their mouth in that shape and they showed that even that gives you um, endorphins. So it, so that's a great tactic is to, uh, is the, is the smiling. (laughs) Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. There's another one as well that is really cool by Samuele Marcota, who's a previous guest on, on this podcast about how they had people cycle uh, and they had a screen in front of them that flashed really super fast images. So they couldn't even see it, uh, but Mm. it was either smiling faces or sad faces. And, Ah. and, And they performed much better in a time to exhaustion phase when those flashing images that they couldn't see, they just saw the 
blank screen basically but their mind perceived the faces somehow and, and is that smi- amazing yeah, yeah. And, and the group that saw the smiling faces they performed a lot better in the time check social face than, uh, I, than, than the other group i think it's amazing and i mean it's really a testament to this idea of how important you know how how into intricately um entangled like our emotions are with our performance and we i think we just uh now hopefully athletes are getting through research you know sometimes we we just need to like have it proved yeah in some way that it's like it's not you know it's not touchy-feely it's not bullshit it's like this is there's a real physiological effect with this idea of your emotional state and it's okay for you to manipulate that in order to help you perform to your potential yeah and and i think that's marcora study that uh, go is a great segue into the next question on suffering because what they kind of uh, hypothesized was that it uh, smiling yourself or seeing perceiving something smiling that reduces your perception of effort so you can take on more suffering potentially and yep. uh, and you have uh, for training peaks that's how i found, found out about you first actually through the some webinars and uh, articles that you wrote on training peaks about dealing with with suffering and pain in training and racing so let's talk about that what do you have for us on on that topic yeah, um, I, you know any any endurance athlete knows that at some point that that's like becomes a factor in in racing and in training really that your um, your ability to push yourself and and handle the pain of effort right so this is different than the pain of injury that we're talking about but really understanding the difference between um, you know the pain of effort and how to push yourself through that and how to how to really know if you've pushed yourself to your physical potential and um one of the really interesting things that i you know in the years that i've worked with endurance athletes that i've noticed especially people who have come people who've come to endurance sports um as an adult that maybe didn't necessarily have athletic experience growing up. So they weren't necessarily, you know, doing sports and weren't necessarily athletes as they were going up. And now they're coming into um, endurance sports. They don't have a framework in the beginning of understanding, of understanding that the difference between pain of suffering and pain, that's a signal that's like your body's telling you to stop. So so there's like a learning curve there a little bit in the beginning of understanding um, that there's pain that's that you can handle, right? And a lot of times this is what we th- are thinking about with mental toughness too. Like there's pain that you c- that's not dangerous. There's pain that you experience that's not life-threatening or not physically harmful um, in terms of like needing to push through a, a you know, a, a sprint or an interval or something like that. Um and then there's pain that is dangerous. That is a sign that like, you know, something's wrong with your body. You need to you back off. So, so there's an interesting learning curve there f- for some people. And so one of the ways to just start to play with this idea of, you know, the psychology of suffering and like, can I go into the pain cave a little bit deeper um, is during some of your training to just play with like pushing yourself a, a little bit more than you normally would. So say, um, in your mind, you're, you've identified that this is going to be, um, you know, that you're going to run to a certain length. Um, maybe you're doing, you know, you're doing some speed work and you're going to, um, 
your speed work is going for a certain distance, just running like 10 steps past that identified distance can start to help your brain recognize like, oh, I've got more in me than I realize. Because a lot of times, as soon as if you identify, it's like that idea of um, <laughs> if you've ever had that experience, on, like on a bike where you like the um, the false peak, right? So you're you're riding and you're on a climb and you see the top of the climb, what you think is the top of the climb. So you see the top of the climb and you get up there and realize, oh my God, it still goes. And all of a sudden your body is just like shuts down. It's just like suddenly feels the burning in your legs even more intensely. And you kind of want to just pull over and throw your bike off the mountain and never ride again. Like, because you're, you had this expectation that that was it. So you're, um, your body like has worked together to go, okay, we've got enough to go there. And you've identified that as the stopping point. And when you have to continue past that, your brain is just like, no. <laughs> so creating ways to actually do that to, um, and I call it go, just go one per- Can I go 1% more? Not even 10%. Don't even worry about like, you know, can I put, you know, cause a lot of times I think we, we think too, too too far in a way where it's like, I, I got to be pushing a hundred percent. And it's like, what, can I just go 1% more? Chances are yes. Especially age groupers, like really like, yes, <laughs> you can go 1% more. So, j- and it, and it feels like something that's manageable and I, and isn't daunting to think like, I don't have 10% more. Do I have 1% more? Yeah, I can do this. So play with this idea during training of like, can I go 1% more in all different ways? Like, do you can do you go you know ten seconds past your interval on the bike? Can you run you know twenty steps past where you had said you were going to stop running just to see like okay yeah I can push through that. So that's one of the things I'll play with um w- you know with this idea of training for suffering in a way. Um, there's a couple other things that that are that can be really great to have in your toolbox. One is um. So your brain is only capable of like, t- it really, it takes in one piece of information and processes, it's processing that information. And then maybe if you're an expert in that, it can bring in another piece of information and it kind of goes back and forth between them. Um, but but really, we're only meant to kind of be processing one thing at a time. So if you give your brain, you're kind of like shoving something into your brain to process so that you don't necessarily process the pain that you're feeling. So an example of that is, um, you know, people who count their steps. So there's people that'll, when you're running, they'll, they'll just count, um, you know, count to eight and and repeat that. So it's called rhythmic cognitive behavior. So having some phrase or something that you consistently just repeat to yourself forces your brain to focus on that so that you're not focused on, um, Oh my God, my legs hurt and I want to stop. Because um, as soon as you start to focus on the pain, some you'll see that sometimes it, you feel it even more intensely. So giving your, you know, counting s- steps or having a mantra that you say to yourself over and over, um, like I had cyclists that they would say smooth with each pedal stroke, just smooth, smooth, smooth. So um, something that you repeat to yourself um, in that in that in that way can help you push through an effort where you're feeling like you really want to stop. Um, Another one that's important um, is also establishing an end. So I think sometimes when you're really pushing um, to your, like your kind of all out effort, our brain, our brain sometimes feel like 
thinks like, I can't possibly do this forever. So then, and you're like, no, you can't actually. So actually like telling yourself there is an established end. Like this is not forever. I can do this for 10 more seconds. I can do this for like, I can do any, one of the ones that seems to be popular with my athletes is like, I can do anything for 30 seconds. I can do anything for 30 seconds. Like, so something that you, so you know, like there is an end to it. It might not be right now when I would like it to be, but there is this climb will level out at some point. There will be a descent at some point. Like I can keep pushing. There is going to be an end at some point. So that the, there is that you just keep saying to yourself that it's going to be just 30 more seconds and, and then you'll get a rest, even though it might go on for several minutes, but you just yes. keep starting over. <laughs> yeah, okay. 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Another one that can be helpful is um, just f focusing on going to the next marker. So like, say you're, you know, whether you're running or cycling, like I'm just going to go to the next tree. And then after that, I'm going to decide which, where I'm going to go next. So sometimes, um, because it keeps you in the moment, it keeps you just focused on, yes, I can make it to the next tree. Okay, how am I feeling now? Yes, I can make it to the next tree. Even if it's like two steps away, like just keep identifying that because it keeps your brain from thinking of the outcome, which is like, how could I possibly run 10 more miles? You don't have to worry about that right now. Right now, you just worry about, can I make it to the next tree? Okay, yes, I can make it to the next tree. Because sometimes it's just getting through that moment of like, uh, and then your body kind of settles in again. And I will say, I think it's really important to say too, it's not always mental, this idea of psychology of suffering. So, you know, it really is important to kind of rule out the physical piece as well. Like, are you hydrated? Are, do, you, are, do you need to work on your nutrition? When's the last time you ate something? So sometimes the emotions that we feel of like, you know, you're feeling cranky, you're feeling annoyed. That's actually your brain trying to tell you to eat. So, so even though there is absolutely a psychological component, like don't dismiss, you know, when are you hydrated? Because if you're not hydrated, you're going to be feeling more pain than if you were. Yeah, very good points. How, how long do you think it takes to develop or at what rate can you improve your ability to suffer? Is that that really takes a long, long time and maybe you need to work for many years to get and, and how much of it is innate and how much is trainable? That's a, a great question. I don't know that you could say, I, you know, I think it's really individual. I don't know that there's any research on it, which that would be really fascinating, actually. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know I don't, either. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there is. But, um, but just, you know, anecdotally with the people that I've worked with, there are, there are definitely people that um, it comes more innately than others, right? There are some people where it's like, they have the opposite problem where it's like they have this insane ability to push themselves, but maybe they actually haven't trained their body to be able to do that. And then they end up getting injured, but they just have this incredible ability to tolerate pain. So pain tolerance really um, is so subjective and so individual that it's um, it just depends on the, on the person in terms of like how long it would take to, to train it. So, um, you know, I, yeah. So I don't, I don't think that there's a, um, unfortunately, right. Cause, because we would already know, like people would already be presenting on this. If we had a formula, it's like, okay, if you do this for X amount of time, you're going to be good. Like, so we don't really have that, but there are things where you can, you know, wherever you're at right now, you can work on in order to, um, in order to at least know, like, I really did give it everything that I had on race day that I was capable of giving. Um, I think that's the other thing that, you know, that's, that's a little bit different that we, um, we haven't really touched on that 
my endurance athletes struggle with sometimes is um, uh, the the struggle between life uh, and and training. Meaning, um, sometimes they'll struggle with like, well, yeah, I could have if I could, you know, if I could train full time. I know what I would be capable of and I could go faster and I could do these things, but I, you know, there's other things that are, that I value that are important to me that I need to balance in here. And our, our ego doesn't always like that. So, um, it, it creates this cognitive dissonance between like life goals and training goals. And, um, and so knowing, so that's a part of this as well. It's not just knowing like, you know, I really did everything that I could in order to set myself up to be successful on race day. And I got to the end, um, knowing that I gave everything I had on that day and, and really, um, being okay with that and not getting to the end of the race and feeling like, well, yeah, that was great, but I probably could have gone even faster if I, you know, only had a part-time job or, you know, was sponsored or whatever it is. But, um, so that's another layer I see sometimes happen. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, go into the last question before the rapid fire questions, and that is uh, how to deal with injury. Do you have a couple of quick uh, tips for how to deal with that mentally and not get down? And yeah. this is as much for myself as anybody else. Uh, thank you to all the listeners who have been sending sending <laughs> sending in messages about my hoping my knee gets better. But yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of an issue right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, this is a huge topic, and we should do another episode that's just dedicated to injury because. It's- Actually, we could, um, yeah, we, we could, we could, yeah. we can set it up right after this one. <laughs> okay, good. Because <laughs> it is, it's, um, it's something I'm really passionate about and actually going to be doing more work with, um, it's kind of doing different exciting projects with. So, um, you know, it, that there is a, a, a high likelihood that if you push yourself to your potential and you push your body to your potential to see what you're able to do at some point, you're probably going to hit a limit. Um, and so many, many athletes struggle with injury. And one of the most important things to think about if you are injured um, is that you're still an athlete. So I think one of the, the biggest challenges is that you feel like you lose that athletic identity or you feel like, well, who am I if I'm not a triathlete or who am I if I can't go out and train? And it's, it's a, can be a really big blow to that part of you and that part of your athletic identity. So one of the ways to think about it is that um, if you're struggling with that idea of like, I don't feel like I'm an athlete anymore if I can't train is, no, you're still an athlete, but right now you're performance is recovery. So all of the energy that you put into training now needs to be focused on what do you need to do in order to take care of your body in order to recover, because that's a part of being an athlete. So instead of seeing it as the separate thing of like, I'm an athlete and now I'm not, it's like, oh, I'm an athlete and I'm still on my athletic journey and I'm still on that path. I need to step back and look at the bigger picture and realize, oh, but right now on that path, I'm injured. So what do I need to do as an athlete in order to navigate this injury? So that's a kind of a big piece there. Another thing that a lot of people struggle with when you're injured is it's so hard not to focus on all the things you can't do. And just, um, especially depending on when you get injured and if it means you're going to miss a race, it's just, you know, can be a really big emotional blow and a really big emotional roller coaster when you're dealing with an injury. Um, and it's, it's hard not to, you know, it's really hard not to focus on all the things you can't do or like some of the big fear, you know, some of the biggest fears I hear with my injured athletes are fear of re-injury. Um, 
everyone else is getting fit while I'm falling behind? Um, am I going to come back and be the same athlete that I was before? So there's a lot of, you know, there's just, it's so emotional. So, so um, really thinking about what can I do right now and versus just thinking about all the things you can't do and making sure that you build up your support system that, um, you know, are, if, when you're stressed, it can have an impact. It can have, it can potentially have a detrimental impact on your healing rate and your body's ability to heal. So anything that you can do to help manage your stress, which is like such a hard thing to tell an injured athlete. Cause it's like the most stress, one of the most stressful things you're going to go through is being injured, but like, try not to be stressed out about it because it's going to affect your healing rate. But you know, anything that you could do to like, you know, be with friends and watch your favorite funny movie and, you know, just do things that feel good. Um, even though you're injured is kind of an important part of your recovery process. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And actually, yeah, let's, uh, let, let's schedule a follow-up episode and, uh, and talk about it. Okay. <laughs> that, that sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, one, one question that I actually, that, uh, I didn't ask when, when we talked about the, the scenarios at the beginning of some of the things that people might want to work on is, is there a way to self-assess what your, uh, what, what, what are your main priorities or what they should be when it comes to mental skills? Oh, um, that's a great question. You know, um, one thing you can do, there's this thing that we use in sports psychology, it's called a performance profile. And basically, and the way I use it with my athletes, it's like identifying. So and the way you could do this specifically with mental skills is you can identify for you, like for each individual athlete. So for you, what what do you feel like are the top eight, say, mental skills you need in order to be successful in your sport? And you kind of think through what those might be and write those down. And then you can assess yourself and uh, on two different scales. So one is how important is this skill to being successful? And so you rank on a scale of zero to 10, zero is like, this isn't really important. And 10 is like, this is the most important thing, you know? So say it might be, you know, the skills might be like, um, my ability to push through pain, my, um, uh, my ability to focus during training, you know, these different skills. So whatever you identify, like how important is that to being successful? And then the second skill you rate it on is what's my abilities in that particular skill? How do I feel like I'm doing? And it's all subjective. So like, don't overthink it. It's just like, this is for you to kind of get a gauge. And when you do this all on um, a piece of paper and, uh, and like see it actually written out. So I have them I have the athletes like actually do it in a little bit of a graph. So there's like visual components. So you can kind of see all these different skills and we'll do it with physical skills too. But um, you see like, okay, I've rated myself on this one as like a four, but I've said it, the importance is an eight. So you kind of see all this visually and you can look and see like, what do I feel like if I worked on it would give me the most bang for my buck, so to speak? Like, which one do I feel like would really help my performance the most and you can see kind of some of the discrepancies and then th- that might be a good place to start so you might identify like okay yeah my um my motivation and um my race day resilience those are the two things i need to work on the most and so you then you actually break down those into a, a goal which that's kind of like a whole separate topic it's like the you know kind of um the skill of goal setting and and being effective with 
working towards a goal. But actually, you know, it's one thing to say, like, I need, I need to be more motivated. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> like, that's great. But um, how do you actually break that down into a specific goal and something that you can work on and see that you've improved on? Um, so that's, you know, the performance profile is kind of a good way to assess, well, where am I at right now? And where do I feel like it w- might be good to work towards? And how can I start to move myself in that direction? Perfect. Yeah, that's that sounds really good. And uh, there are so many different skills that we could talk for hours and hours on each one separately. But <laughs> but I guess that people can start start by just googling your articles, for example. And, and then if they're interested, they can they can talk to you or, or another a, a local mental skills coach if, if yeah. that's their preference. But uh, but I, I think that probably this is this is an area where it's uh, definitely you you can get get some ways yourself but but also it uh, you can probably get a lot out of investing a little bit into getting some professional professional guidance on it so yeah let, let's talk uh, or move into the rapid fire questions and the first one that i have is so what's your favorite book blog or resource <laughs> well mine <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that, that's slightly, only slightly cheating, but you can mention it and then you can uh, mention another one yeah. so um so my book on top of your game you know and it's funny i say i kind of say it in jest but really because they are very specific um worksheets and skills you can work on like i like it be- because of that so it gives people something very tangible to work on but um the other ones I would say that maybe people don't always wouldn't necessarily pick up and think about uh, in terms of sports psychology. There's three. There's the talent code. I highly recommend if you haven't read it. And these are all a little bit older. So maybe that you missed them on your radar. Um, so the talent code, the gifts of imperfection um, and mindset. Those are all like they hit on this. In a di- can, in you a mention, can you mention the offer, offers for those books? Um, let's see. Oh, I'd have to go look them up. I can look. Uh, okay. them, we, I can look we, them up. Yeah. We'll put them in the notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But the talent code, uh, gifts of imperfection and mindset. Perfect. What's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Um, coffee. My morning coffee is probably. Oh, I like it. You're not the person who said that either. <laughs> I'm not. Of course, I'm not. I know. Um, that and being very uh, organized with. Um, I identify each week exactly what I need to do that week. So uh, that's my other habit. I think that helps. Finally, who's somebody in endurance sports or in uh, mental skills, your field of expertise, that you look up to and admire? You know, as for. Um, for endurance sports, uh, someone that, you know, she's retired now, but I really um, looked up to Chrissy Wellington. She just, I, I, she was always someone that I, um, I thought she was, I, I really identified with her outlook um, uh, in terms of being an athlete. And then, but really, I would say, you know, I think about some of my clients and um, man, just watching them um accomplish something that they never especially my endurance one like accomplish something that they never thought that they could have done is just like oh my god it's just so incredible and such an amazing thing and humbling thing to be a part of so really like if i'm really honest the people they're the ones i look up to the most yeah i mean that's why it's such a great job to be a coach whether it's a triathlon coach or a mental skills coach but those experiences are absolutely amazing Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, so you can be found on your website, uh, that is com, and we will link to everything in the show notes. And on Twitter, your Feed the Athlete, I think. Is that yes, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, 
and also on Instagram, and we'll have those in the show notes as well. And uh, you have a Facebook group, by the way, related to the injury topic. So do you want to quickly mention that? I do, yeah. So I started a um, like a, a support group uh, on Facebook called the Injured Athletes Club. Oh my gosh, and it's so it's been so great to be a part of. So it's um, a place where like all different injured athletes from all different sports come together and um, share their wins, like where their progress is, get support. We do a live Q and A um, every month where people can come in and ask questions about like what they're struggling with and um, get ideas from me on the different mental aspects of recovering from injury. And it's um, it's been a really fun thing to be a part of and man the athletes are really getting a lot out of it too so if you're injured or dealing with an injury or know someone that is definitely come check it out perfect brilliant and we'll link to that as well of course in the show notes thank you carrie this has been uh, great fun and uh, we look forward already to the next episode on uh, on dealing with with injuries let's make it happen sounds good okay thanks <laughs> bye bye There you go. I'm of the very strong opinion that the mental side of things in endurance sports cannot be overemphasized. It's super, super important. It's basically, it can separate two athletes of equal physical ability by many, many minutes in a race, if not tens of minutes if it's an Ironman. And uh, it, it really, it can also separate one athlete's good days from the bad days if you have a good mental day versus a bad mental day but then doing the preparation and the training uh, mentally as well as physically that's what will allow you to have more good days than bad days and I really could list a whole number of important take-home messages but I think they would kind of miss the point and confuse the message so I'll just say one thing and that is as I said and teased a little bit at the start of this episode apply this information don't just listen to it and think hey this was a nice episode but actually go and start doing this whether it's five minutes that you spend every day on on some of these mental aspects and it can even be it doesn't have to be separate from training a lot of what we talked about is actually things that you do in training so whatever part of this feels the most relevant to you and the most useful for you, uh, go and get started with that. It's all fine as said, listening to a podcast, but if you're not using this, then what's the point? How, how does it make you faster? It doesn't. So that's why I really, for this episode, want to stress the fact that you need to actually get started doing these things. Get started with just one thing, just like you would... Swimming technique is a good analogy, I think. Just choose one or two points of focus and, and work on, on them to start with, and, and then you move on as you have mastered them. But if you if you do, go ahead and do that. I'd be very curious to hear what, you, uh, what a particular part of the mental preparation that you pick and how it goes. So make sure to comment on the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. Just click through to this episode and comment on the bottom of the show notes page on what you are picking as your uh, your aspect. And I can tell you personally that I already used this. The day after I interviewed Kerry, we had a surprise 1000 meter swimming time trial. And, and I tried to use the smiling thing that, that I talked about myself in the interview with 
just first trying to relax before the the time trial and not not getting nervous or anything it's just an assessment it's uh, nothing to get nervous about anyway and i'm i don't tend to get nervous but i think that just smiling helped me stay even more relaxed than than usual before the time trial which was nice it definitely felt good and i also tried smiling while swimming which was a bit difficult i have to admit it would have been easier in a run or bike time trial i feel i've never tried this in swimming before but i think i kind of did a decent job with it and it did feel like it it took longer than usual before fatigue really set in and and i could could probably go slightly reduce the perception of effort and uh, and go a little bit faster than i otherwise would that's what it felt like it it felt good so yeah that's about it for the take-home messages one thing i like to mention is that if you haven't already liked scientific triathlon on facebook Go ahead and do that because I often post before doing interviews uh, and give you the chance to ask your questions of the experts that I bring on. So, so Scientific Triathlon, just type that in your Facebook search bar and go and like that. Next episode will be released on Thursday and there I interview Mike Ritchie, one of the most successful age group coaches in the US. He has been the USAT coach of the year among other accomplishments and we talk about quality over quantity for age group triathletes. He has many very interesting thoughts and ideas on topics like periodization and things like the off-season uh, or lack of one and uh, base phase training in particular. So make sure you tune in to that. That's a good one. Finally, thank you to Triathlon Corner for supporting that Triathlon show. Triathlon Corner can be found on triathlon-corner.store. It's the new online home of shopping the best Triathlon products in the world to great, great prices. They have great deals there. And I was actually there when Jan, who owns Triathlon Corner, opened the brick and mortar store in Helsinki. So I'm super excited to be involved as well here with helping out with launching the new web shop. Definitely can't give enough praise to to the the shop. It's a really nice one, both the web shop and the brick and mortar one. Of course, the web shop that you you hear, you don't need to be in Helsinki. It's a global one. So go and check it out on triathlon-corner.store. And thank you also to Precision Hydration. Make 2018 the year that you don't let incorrect hydration and electrolyte intake stop you from achieving your goals through cramping and and other stuff that is easily preventable with just the right preparation, just like you need to prepare mentally. So take them up on their offer to all of our listeners to get a free box of Precision Hydration product by using the code ThatTriathlonShow, all one word, at checkout on precisionhydration.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft long.